Yael Asowski with the Consumer Choice Center joins us uh, at this time each and every Friday as we round out the broadcast week. Uh, we thank Cameron Moore, by the way, uh, for discussing all things uh, related to growth and development uh, within our region across southeastern North Carolina. And uh, Yael, uh, as soon as uh, President Biden, I should say, he unveiled his quote-unquote infrastructure plan, we talk about superhighways, uh, well, reinvesting in the old Amtrak system, uh, which has uh, proven to be such an effective and efficient uh, mode of transportation over the last uh, 50 years. Here we go. Uh, rail line from Wilmington to Raleigh. So we'll soon be able to ride a train potentially. You know, maybe in our child's uh, you know, adulthood, will this actually come to fruition? Maybe if uh, this ultimately becomes uh, law and is passed. Uh, so now we're talking about a proposed rail line and extensions of Amtrak service all over the country. I'm sure you're very pleased uh, with uh, this proposal that's been laid out this week uh, by the 46th president of the United States. Yeah, well, it's definitely interesting, Joe, and uh, I guess this is under the wheelhouse of uh, Pete Buttigieg, uh, who's our new transportation secretary. So I, I took a look at this. Uh, this is the map that went out uh, just yesterday, and it does indeed show uh, Wilmington being connected to Raleigh via the Amtrak service. Um, and then for any of your listeners, just so they know, uh, they, they might uh, have ridden on Amtrak at some point in their life. This is a an organization, an institution, a quasi-government monopoly that basically turned its first ever profit last year. This thing has been in existence for 50 years, just turned over their first profit, and now they're going to be looked to to have some kind of amazing infrastructure recovery. I find that's laughable, especially when it comes to train service. Uh, because of this monopoly that they've had since the 1970s, it has been very difficult to have any kind of passenger rail. There's actually only one passenger rail line that's privately owned in the U.S., and it goes. Uh, it's in your favorite state of Florida, Joe. It goes between Miami and West Palm Beach. It's a company called Brightline. I think if uh, North Carolina legislators were smart, or even if Wilmington uh, regional authorities were smart, They'd talk to these guys instead of waiting on whatever strange government handout, you know, monopoly deal will come via Amtrak. Uh, this is not the way forward. We have to allow entrepreneurs to invest and to innovate on their own. But something coming from Amtrak, I mean, we've been waiting for 50 years. So I really don't see anything that'll happen. And Joe, you said it might be in our, you know, our kids' lifetimes. I doubt it. Uh, this is probably something that, uh, you know, your great grandkids might one day see. And by that time, we'll have flying vehicles. So what's the point of, you know, outdated rail lines uh, in the next uh, 30 uh, to 40 years? You know, driven cars uh, remotely. You won't even have to you'll sit in that driver's seat and just, uh, you know, uh, kick the seat back and take a little nap. And next thing you know, you're in Raleigh. So what would be the purpose of this? Uh, it would be completely obsolete, as it is already across uh, many parts of the country. Because, of course, you can do it uh, you know, at a cheaper rate and get there at a quicker time by something called an airplane. Uh, when it comes to you know, the way uh, people uh, choose their methods of travel these days, uh, airlines and, of course, you know, the motor vehicle, which is why you, know, you would think at least some of this infrastructure plan would go to updating some of those you know, modes of transportation rather than, as you highlighted, investing in a outdated, antiquated and inefficient uh, company like Amtrak, uh, the way they've been operating for the better part of the last uh, 50 years. And uh, I thought when you mentioned uh, the state of Florida, I thought you were going to 
uh, talk about the the privately owned monorail at Disney World as being the most efficient, effective, and affordable way of travel uh, by rail uh, by rail lay, rail in the country. Well, yeah, actually, that Bright Line uh, will connect to Orlando uh, by next year. So they they yeah. actually you probably will be able to hop on the Disney thing. But one important principle I wanted to bring up, Joe, is that of technology neutrality. It's it's a principle that we always try to kind of uphold in a lot of our statements and conversations with lawmakers. It should not be up to the government to decide what technology that we use as consumers and certainly not what kind of transportation. Now, that's a broad principle that I think we should always apply. We had our energy secretary uh, of the U.S. government, Jennifer Granholm, on TV talking what the Joe Biden infrastructure plan will do for EV, for electrical vehicle charging stations and all of this. And, you know, that's all well and good. But, you know, who knows? We could have hydrogen cell cars that come out in two years that are much better than the electric vehicles. Electric vehicles, and, uh, you know, I've driven a few of them in my day. They're fun. They're quick. Uh, But, you know, these things use rare earth minerals, mostly in China, um, at least until the Piedmont lithium mine uh, outside the Charlotte area opens up. Essentially, all of this, these rare earth minerals, that's what's used to make these electric vehicles. And all these mines and things run on coal. So it's not the more efficient model. And what makes it all the more problematic is that the government is the one that's saying this will be the standard. And I think that is just not the right way to go. We want our government to provide good incentives for people to come up with solutions. We don't want the government to provide those technological solutions because they always come up with the wrong answer. A quick example from the European Union, Joe, is you had the uh, European Commission, you know, huge body over 500 million people. They came out and said, okay, guys, there's only going to be one phone charger allowed. We don't want any of this lightning Apple stuff. We don't want any of this stuff, you know, micro USB. We're only going to choose one, and it's going to be that micro USB wire. Meanwhile, we've got USB-C. We've got all these, you know, amazing new technologies coming out every single day, making all of those obsolete. It just goes to show we need technology neutrality, and you can't really have governmental institutions picking winners and losers because more oftentimes than not, they'll pick losers. Well, and in fact, uh, they uh, continue to move with that train of thought, uh, you know, wanting to make that choice and distinction, as we all know how it uh, results. Well, it ends up costing us more and uh, we end up getting less uh, for our investments as uh, taxpayers here in this uh, great country. We we allow our fearless leaders to make uh, these types of decisions without any type of uh, repercussions. But in due part, uh, Yael, as you mentioned with the electric vehicles, I think a lot of what you said there is just generally, you know, not known. Many people are just uninformed or disinformed on, you know, this push for electrical vehicles, uh, the subsidies that would come along with this uh, through this recent infrastructure plan that, uh, you know, the details are just not very well known across uh, the general public uh, when we have these types of discussions on clean energy, clean travel, I guess uh, you could put it that way. Yeah, and I think the the main issue here is that, you know, there's a lot of innovation that is happening. There's a lot of research. There's a lot of money that's being invested. I'm a huge fan of Elon Musk. I think what he's doing is great. But everyone who, you know, assumes that if everybody gets a Prius tomorrow, you know, problem solved, they're kidding themselves. And there have been plenty of studies done on this. There's the political scientist and economist Bjorn Lomborg, originally Danish. He leads the Copenhagen Consensus Center, and he brought together— 50 of the smartest economists in the world, and they published a book called Cool It, 
all about climate solutions and all these different alternatives. And they basically mapped it out. And they said, look, if you had everyone on the planet go and drive a Prius tomorrow, it would do absolutely nothing for global temperature. It'd go down like 0.01%. And then you still have all these other issues. So I think a lot of this is just feel good. You know, people want to know that they're doing something. So then they'll go out and they'll spend $50,000 on an electric car. And for them, you know, it's probably great. But uh, I know, at least in my community, we didn't have any electrical charging stations. We don't have any of that. Uh, there are, you know, innovators coming up with these options every day. But especially with the electric vehicles, I mean, it's something that many environmentalists don't really take into consideration. And I think with the Green New Deal conversations that we had, I think about two years ago, there were all kinds of splashy ideas out there, you know, have a government program whereby every gov every building has to be painted, you know, white on the top so it can reflect the heat. I mean, there's all these kinds of stuff that are proposed, but really, if you measure the impact, they really do nothing. And it's the same with the electric vehicles, as I mentioned, all the rare earth minerals that you need to put that together. And it's not just the vehicles, it's also solar panels themselves and the batteries that hold the charge. So you have all of these mines working around the clock to try to produce these rare earth metals that we put into that. And right now, China has a monopoly. So we're yet again in a situation where we're leaning on the Chinese Communist Party. I mentioned before the, the Piedmont lithium uh, mine that's just outside of Charlotte. You know, that is something that will be very interesting because that means that we could actually have North Carolina lithium that will be providing the batteries for Tesla. They already do have a contract, and they're supposed to put that together in the next year or two. Uh, I think that's really interesting because it'd be something that the Tar Heel State could lead on. But right now, we're just way too reliant on China, way too reliant on all of their coal power. And all of this is just kind of feel-goodism, if you ask me. Talk about feel-goodism. Uh, I don't know if you caught the video yesterday because many of uh, those in mainstream media were fawning over the fact that Mayor Pete uh, the new transportation secretary rode his bicycle to the cabinet meeting at the White House. Uh, they were fawning over this uh, man's mode of transportation, only to find out that, well, the bicycle was parked uh, in the back of a suburban, a fuel-powered suburban, uh, just a, a block and a half away from the White House. And then all of a sudden he showed up with his cup of coffee, ditched the coffee, uh, probably in a styrofoam cup, and then uh, took uh, the bicycle outside of uh, the suburban and then rode it uh, while the security detail in the suburban followed him to the White House. Uh, the virtue signaling is uh, you know, really just uh, amazing to see and view on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, it's it's performing, you know, and they're they're trying to fulfill their roles and they're really trying to show you that they're they're committed to the cause. Too much of this is just performance, you know, and I think most people who again buy a Prius are doing so because they perhaps want to have more efficient energy. They don't want to pay as much for gas. I've rented a couple of these. They're fun to drive. Uh, they've got a little indicator showing you how much your battery's charging. It's awesome. Uh, I don't know if I would have it full time, but you know, it's at least something that people can do. But we should not pretend that all of our problems will be solved by converting everybody to these vehicles. And a lot of their performance stuff that's coming particularly out of the Biden administration early, I mean, this is... Um, it's very troubling because many of the same things are being carried on. It's not really being discussed, particularly when it comes to trade. And the amount of criticism that President Trump got for all of this stuff was off the charts. But nowadays, it's just kind of uh, swept under the carpet. And one of the most fun things that I get enjoyment on because I'm a, a sick person is the fact while I'm riding in my very fuel-efficient Hyundai down the highway, 
passing the rest areas at a healthy speed. Uh, you know, in the rearview mirror, I see those uh, electric vehicles getting charged at the rest area because uh, they can no longer go further because their battery has ran out of juice. And I think to myself, so long, suckers, uh, here 13 minutes in front of the hour with Yael Lasowski at the Consumer Choice Center. Yael, I know you've been trying to get back to the States. Uh, are you uh, getting your Vax passport to, to come to the U.S.? Or is that only if you have to leave the country and come back in? Not sure how the Vax passport is all going to work out for us in the long run. Yeah, I know there's been a lot of proposals, and, and definitely there's been a lot of press on the anti-side, which I do appreciate and I love. Um, I guess more people are reading my Facebook feed, so that's very good to know. But I think, look, this is problematic overall. If we have the government in charge of any type of digital passport that is going to track our movements and, and allow us whether or not to go into an establishment or use some kind of service, you know, you have all kinds of Fourth Amendment concerns. You have all kinds of concerns when it comes to just your private data. I think I actually have less of a problem if it is done by a private company, if Walmart has their own system. Um, you know, but here's the thing is that all of these different vaccines and all of this, they're still not really admitting that the vaccines do not uh, essentially cause people to then be infectious or that people who have the vaccine can get it. So it's as if, I, I guess it's the CDC, because I've been reading all kinds of other studies that do say it's uh, once you have the vaccine, you're safe. But how are we going to have a vaccine passport if we don't even have clear guidelines on what you can do once you have the vaccine. That's something that's more problematic to me. When it comes to traveling between the countries, uh, that is something that, that is hard just because there are different rules. And look, let's just admit it, not many people are going to do that in the next two, three months. I know a lot of people would like to go to you know Bermuda and, and you know to the Caribbean and go somewhere nice. Uh, but for right now, it still is negative tests and, and all of this. I think with the vaccine passport stuff, really, it's just not practically practically going to be feasible. It ain't going to work out. It's too complex. And if they really can't run the Obamacare website, I really have you know an issue seeing them putting together some kind of application that will work on everyone's phone and then allow us to be able to enter places or not. So at least in Israel, this stuff is being done privately. It's private institutions and actors. It's companies. It's not the government. I think that's probably a more preferable way to go uh, so that we can get back to normal with a capital N. Now, while you know you and I both agree that maybe we should not have uh, the government uh, you know, requiring us uh, to uh, be vaccinated in order to travel or go to a ball game, a movie theater, attend a conference. So what do you think about uh, you know private uh, businesses uh, putting this requirement in for their employees? Uh, you know, even some lawmakers are discussing uh, Florida, for instance, uh, with Governor DeSantis. You know, looking to put forth uh, legislation or executive orders uh, that would prevent these private companies from doing the same. Yeah, I think there it's it's obviously different because we're talking about private firms and you know what they require for their employees. I think in that circumstance, having a kind of government rule on that perhaps encroaches a bit too much on our freedom of association. You definitely don't want a situation that is, it's much like the unionization debate. You know, we have right to work states where you're not required to be part of a union to work there. At the same time, should we have it in place that you should not be required to be vaccinated to work there or, or something like this? That's very sticky and complicated. I, I would prefer that these uh, decisions be made in those private firms uh, because it, it just generally matters. You know, it's different if you're 
dealing with something that's very customer focused and you're dealing with a lot of different people and you don't know if everyone's been tested. And then if you perhaps have some, you know, other kind of firm where you don't really deal with too many customers and things are online or, or things are kind of in a back warehouse, things are going to be very different. And, you know, should we have a kind of rule that allows that? I'm not really sure. I don't have an answer. I, I think really we should look to uh, private businesses and they should make the best decision for them, uh, but surely not have any additional impositions from the government. I think that's that's something that does encroach a bit too much on what many of us are hoping to be freedom, you know, once all this is over. And and North Carolina is doing great, by the way. You know, you, you guys are now vaccinated at twice the rate of pretty much any European country except for the United Kingdom. Um, actually doing much better than many other southern states at this point. So North Carolina in itself has a way to get out, and uh, hopefully we won't even have to discuss these questions any further, Joe, because all this will probably be over in a couple of months anyway. Well, in fact, I'd feel much more comfortable rather than being required to vaccinate myself for the coronavirus if, in fact, uh, the businesses that I frequented just had the well health safety steel on the front of their storefront. Uh, then I would know that those businesses, in fact, have my best interests in mind when I go frequent their businesses and spend money with them. The well health safety seal. If you haven't seen it, Yael, I encourage you to uh, watch the PSA of all of our famous Hollywood celebrities uh, making us feel very comfortable in our own homes and own skin as we get out and about. Yeah, here's a rule, Joe. If you see any public service announcement that has more than two celebrities, whatever they're selling, absolutely do not buy it. Run away. It is rotten. It is bad. It is some kind of propaganda. Uh, I did see this, you know, this kind of sticker. <laughs> I mean, Joe, that's actually a great business opportunity. Um, if you want to put together the Joe Catanacci seal of COVID preparedness, and sell that to, to various companies around the city and around the state, you know, who who's to say that that standard is any better than the Joe Catanacci standard? Um, I think any business should be, you know, they should pay up to about $1,000 a pop, put that on their business, and then people know it's Joe Catanacci approved. Certified endorsement right here from uh, the well-liked uh, uh, talk show host in southeastern North Carolina. Yeah, Yellas, I'll let you go. I know one of your favorite topics to discuss, and you've been following their work uh, for the better part of the last uh, five, six years now, and that is of the World Health Organization. And uh, to me, as uh, one of your you know, uh, colleagues uh, recently wrote at the dispatch, uh, for most people, having just failed spectacularly at one's job is not the best moment to ask for a pay raise and more responsibility. But in fact, it's the World Health Organization that wants more control and more of our money for the next pandemic that may be on the horizon for you know planet Earth. Isn't that amazing? You fail your job completely and you expect everyone to pony up more funding to you know help invest in all of the things that have nothing to do with, of course, overall world health and being prepared for you know the next uh, situation that uh, confronts itself uh, here in our society it's just amazing these people the gall and yet here in the united states you know we're happy to sign the check and uh, joe biden rejoins uh, the world health organization without any, any strings attached yeah and i mean this is a, another story for a different day there joe but you know the world health organization is currently showering plenty of different low to middle income countries in asia 
uh, in order to change their laws on various things like soda taxes and ad restrictions and banning e-cigarettes and vaping devices. So that's all going on. And uh, this happened just two days ago. It's this report that we had been discussed a couple weeks ago, the convened global study of origin of COVID-19 <laughs> in China. I read through this report, and essentially the only gobbledygook that we got is that they're pretty much about 60% certain that this came from the Wuhan wet market. Uh, they completely deny the leak lab thesis, the idea that it actually leaked from the Wuhan uh, Institute of Virology. Uh, they really, in the, this entire report, they, they do admit that they really had pretty much no evidence from China. They could not get the data that they needed. And they mostly spent most of their time in bureaucracy just trying to get documents and statements from various scientists. So this is likely a whitewash, uh, probably not the truth. Ideally, we would have the United States that would say, hey, we need the truth on this, and they would send their own inspectors. Or we'd have some kind of other meeting convened at the World Health Organization to get the truth out of this. This is very problematic because it's changed every single one of our lives. We're still talking about this, and we still don't know exactly what happened. If we have all the technology, all the wealth, and everything that we have in the 21st century, you know, instead of thinking about ways we can mandate Priuses and, and get everybody on Amtrak, let's just go back to figure out how this virus came to be in the first place. Let's figure out how, what we can do in the future to avoid any kind of mass pandemics so that we don't have to be discussing the idea of digital passports about whether or not Joe Catanacci can go into the bar. I think that's probably a, a smarter decision that they should take on. I would hope the Biden administration will be more forceful. They might be because, the, you know, with China, things are heating up a bit. So they might be more forceful in the next two months. But if so, I'm right there ready. I've got a letter they can send to them. Uh, I'll draft it for them. I will remove my name and add Joe Biden's. How about that? I'll do that as a favor. Yael Lasowski with us from the Consumer Choice Center. Check out the work they do at ConsumerChoiceCenter.org. The global grassroots movement for consumer choice. The Consumer Choice Radio Show airs on Saturday mornings at 10 o'clock here on the Big Talker FM. Yael, enjoy your weekend. I know you've got some plans for Easter Sunday. I hope you enjoy it, and I look forward to reconvening in person in hopefully the next month or so. Looking forward to it. Yes, sir. April's the time. Talk to you soon. And we'll catch up with Yael, of course, next week, uh, just after 930 Eastern time here on a Freedom Friday. Yeah, quick break, and we'll wrap it up for the day after this.